of you are here. My um, mother-in-law, father-in-law, and sister-in-law are here. They're over there. Make sure you tell them nice things about me and how wonderful I am. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, the day of healing prayer on Tuesday that we mentioned, that might sound kind of intimidating or scary and two hours and you can't pray that long. Or This is all it is. It's a two-hour time. People can drop in. People come in and they'll fill out a card. I would write just their name and a general thing that they want prayed for. So I could say, David, physical illness or gout or whatever it is that I have, and I don't have gout. And then they would... They would come in here, and these chairs would be rearranged in a different way, and I would sit down on the chair, and my card would be taped right back here, and whoever was praying would just come by and read my card, and they would gently place their hand on my shoulder, and they'd pray quietly. That's it, for however long it is, five minutes or whatever, and then other people would come around. However many people we have praying, they'll just rotate through the room. Anybody can do that. So I would encourage you, um, most of you already don't eat on Tuesdays anyway. That's our fasting day. So you're not skipping lunch. You might as well come by and help out if you can. Kim is in the nursery. If you want to see her, she can help coordinate that. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Second Chronicles 26. If not, we'll have the words back here on the screen. Oh, one other thing. We talked last week um, about that we were getting full. We've had several weeks where people had to stand or sit on the floor, and we would probably need to go to two services, and that was not very well received. So we bought more chairs but you probably wonder why we didn't just think of that in the first place. The chairs are coming. I don't know when they'll be here, but at some point we'll have more chairs and we'll, we'll be cramped, but apparently that's what most people want. So that's what we're going to do. And until then, we'll just do the best that we can. Uh, we've talked before about the fact that if you believe God inspired the Bible, if you believe he said all of this stuff, it's not a big deal to think that he would still speak to us in some way or another. And in the Bible, one of the ways God speaks is through dreams and visions. A dream is exactly what you think it is. A vision is just a dream when you're awake. And uh, I've never had a dream in my life, never felt like the Lord's ever communicated to me through a dream. And I'm still not sure if he had, but the other night, two nights ago, I had this dream. And I'll just throw it out there for you and uh, see if I can tie it back in later. Um, we were at a conference center, this church. We were at some conference center. I don't know where. I don't know why we were there, and um, I was the one who was speaking, and my throat was really, really dry, and it was because it was really dry in real life, I think, and have you ever had those dreams where you try to do something in your dream, but it doesn't, do any, doesn't make things better? I was trying to drink water in my dream, but it was not helping at all, and I was, thought my throat was numb or whatever, so I went outside, and I, somebody came with me, I don't know who it was, and we saw a group of penguins I looked this up. A group of penguins on the land is called a waddle. A group of penguins in the water is called a raft. There's no such thing as a group of penguins in the air because I saw a group of penguins flying. So I see this group of penguins <laughs> flying, and apparently they're low-flying birds because very quickly I saw these two huge vultures or buzzards or something circling over the penguins and then they kind of dive-bombed them and threw this group of penguins all into chaos. And a couple of them actually, it knocked them down into a tree. And these buzzards or whatever were coming to the penguin. I never, bad things never happen. I always wake up before anything bad happens in a dream. So I, I don't know what happened to the little penguin. Um, we can probably figure that out. So I woke up and thought, well, that's odd to have a dream like that. Um, penguins don't fly. And in my dream... 
the person who I was with, who I don't remember, said, what do you think they're doing? I said, oh, they're flying south for the winter, which <laughs> they're not going to do that either, unless they're going all the way to Antarctica. So um, that's my dream. So kind of hold that over here. This is Second Chronicles 26. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliath. She was from Jerusalem. He did, was, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbaal and against the Muonites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jeel, the secretary, and the other guy who's the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armors, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted him and said, It's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their temple before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and, ex and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz. Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near them in a field for burial that belonged to the kings, for people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Here's a little background. When Uzziah took over Judah, that's the southern kingdom, we talked about that before, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom had ten tribes, the southern had two. And Uzziah was the king of the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. Judah was as low as it had ever been. Uzziah's dad, his name was Amaziah, um, started off as a pretty good king. And after a few years of being a pretty good king, he got cocky and he picked a fight with Israel, who, again, they've got ten tribes. Judah has two. It, the, the king of Israel said, you don't, you don't want to do this. You don't want to have this fight. And he said, yeah, I do. And so Amaziah got his teeth kicked in. I mean, Judah got completely 
trounced. Amaziah was taken hostage. A bunch of other people from Judah were taken hostage. The wall surrounding Jerusalem, that was kind of their protection. 600-foot-long stretch got kicked in. Um, the army from Israel invaded the temple, took all the treasures out of the temple, took all the treasures out of Amaziah's palace. Judah was humiliated, devastated, actually. And then Uzziah becomes king after his dad actually is killed because of um, what he had done. There were some guys in Jerusalem who were ticked at him for what he'd done. And after he was released from being a hostage, basically a POW, um, some of his own people killed him. And then Uzziah becomes king. And Judah is, as again, as low as it's ever been, completely devastated. In terms of the history of the kingdom, it's at the very bottom. It's a, a bad chapter. And Uzziah takes over. And according to verse 5 um, in Second Chronicles 26, it says, He sought God during the days of Zechariah, that was a priest, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. And then the next few paragraphs are all reports of this success that Uzziah experienced. He built the army back up to 307,000 men. He was able to defeat the Philistines, who were um, a foreign country that constantly attacked Judah. He was able to defeat them. It says another king brought him tribute. Basically, that's just another king would bring you money to keep you from attacking them. That's all. That's all that is. When someone's bringing tribute, that means they think you're the big guy on the block and they want to keep you happy. So there were other countries that were doing that uh, to Uzziah, which lets you know that he had grown powerful. He rebuilt the wall, which provided peace and safety for his people. He fortified the wall. He dug these cisterns out in the desert so um, ranchers could have their livestock. He helped the guys who were farmers by building towers out in their fields so they would feel protected. He was rolling along. Everything was going really well. Um, we talked last week about that verse in Second Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone to strongly support whose heart is fully his, looking to, to strongly support someone whose heart is fully the Lord. We talked about that last week. That was Uzziah. He's a picture of what happens when we, strongly, when we are wholly devoted to the Lord. He was described as powerful in verse 15 and 16. That word powerful is the exact same word used as translated strongly support in Second Chronicles 16. They're the same word. So you can say Uzziah was strongly supported by the Lord. He was rolling along. And then something happens. Verse 15, it says, His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful, or that's until he became strongly supported by the Lord. But after Uzziah became powerful, or after Uzziah was strongly supported by the Lord, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God, and he entered the temple. So you've got this guy who's just up, 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 blessed in everything he's doing, prospering, kingdom's going well, and then this pivot point where his pride takes over, and he crashes hard. He falls off a cliff, hard and fast. It doesn't seem like a big deal. What's the big deal? Burning incense in a temple? What is that? All that is is there were, there were services in the temple, and Part of the priest's job was to burn incense, which was kind of symbolic of people praying. And they were the only ones that could do it. That was their deal. They were the ones who were set aside, who were consecrated to do the temple work. And burning incense was part of that. Uzziah was the king, but he wasn't a priest. And he didn't have any business being in there. And you can see it's a big deal because the priest brought 80 of his friends in to confront the king. Imagine that. Somebody's doing something. It's such a big deal. You need 80 people to back you up when you go talk to him. So they go to confront the king to say, hey, you can't do this. And he just goes nuts. 
It said he's raging at them. And then there's, we don't know what he was about to do. He's raging at them. And then all of a sudden he's struck with leprosy on his head. And I don't know what that looks like. But it's probably not pretty. And that kind of wakes everybody up. The priests see it and they're like, he has leprosy. We've got to get him out of here. And he realizes he's screwed up. And he says he was anxious to leave because he realized that the Lord had afflicted him. Before we talk about pride, let me just say this. We've talked several times about God's judgment and kind of how that works in this life. And kind of my theory is God's judgment is almost always an expression of his mercy. When we experience it now, we kind of get a taste of his judgment now because he's trying to turn us around so we don't experience the full deal for eternity. You can have a bite now or you can eat the whole thing later. And Uzziah got a bite now, and it worked. It turned him around. It kept him from burning the incense. According to Numbers 18, if he had done that, he would have been killed. So leprosy is bad, but it's better than being killed. And so this thing that God did to him, whatever it looked like, it served its purpose. Eighty-one people couldn't talk him out of burning this incense. And so God said, well, if you're not going to listen to them, then listen to this. And he touched him, and he got leprosy, and that did wake the king up. So it was successful, and all I would say uh, for us is just to continue to keep in mind, we don't know why bad things happen to good people, and it doesn't do any good to try to figure out the causes of that. But God's judgment here, if we're walking in a bad direction and we experience his judgment, it's just a taste, and the point is to get us to turn around. It's better to have leprosy for a little while than to be dead forever, and that's what he was doing with Uzziah. So anyway, we've got pride here, and it leads quickly to Uzziah's downfall. You've all heard that, your grandmother, whoever, pride goes before a fall. You might not know that's in the Bible, Proverbs 16.8, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall, or leads to a fall. I would, I've not met anyone that doesn't struggle with pride on some level. I think everyone does, you know, some people think it's a guy thing, I don't. I think everybody struggles with pride on some level at some point in their life. And even though it's something that we all struggle with, it's kind of hard to get our hands around. We know it when we see it, but it's kind of hard to define it. Is pride arrogance? Is being proud and being prideful the same thing? Is it cocky? Is it boastful? Is it haughty? Kind of, how do you define pride? And I would say for me, the simplest definition, and you don't have to agree with this if you don't want to, but kind of my understanding, the simplest definition of pride, it's disagreeing with God. That's what it is. The core of pride is disagreeing with God. Some people disagree with God about themselves. Some people disagree with God about other people. Some people disagree with God about the way he runs the universe. Some people disagree with God about salvation and, and how you achieve salvation and who gets to be saved. Some people disagree with God about lifestyle choices and behaviors, but it's all disagreeing with God and it's all pride. It's basically saying, actually, God, you're wrong about this. This is what you say. I actually know a little better. This is what I say. That's the essence of pride. It's disagreeing with God and saying, you know something he doesn't, or you know better than he does about something or other. Something silly. God says, don't steal. Well, actually, pride would say, there's some cases where you don't steal, but maybe it's okay in this way, or I can do this with my taxes or whatever. It's disagreeing with what God says about you, about other people, about life, about salvation, about the way he runs the world, whatever. Disagreeing with God is pride. And I believe pride is kind of a root sin 
Just about every other sin that you can think of is rooted in either pride or unbelief. And we can talk about which one of those is maybe more fundamental. But I would say just about every other sin, sinful activity or sinful attitude, is rooted in either pride or unbelief. The idea that either you don't believe God or we disagree with God about something, then all kinds of other stuff comes from that. This is Luke 18. This is Jesus' picture of pride. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee got it wrong on a lot of different levels. Just using the Old Testament, which he knew, Pharisees, a lot of them memorized the entire Old Testament, if you can imagine. They had the entire Old Testament memorized, and all they did all day was sit around and talk about it and then point fingers at how people needed to follow these laws or that laws and whether you fit in the club or not. So the guy knew the Old Testament. Psalm 53, 4 says, no one's good, not even one. The Pharisee disagreed with God because he was saying, I'm good. Isaiah 63, 4 says, all of our righteous acts are filthy rags. The Pharisee disagreed with God because he was saying, look at all the good things that I do. I fast and I tithe and all of these other righteous acts. I'm justified before God because of all the good I do. Luke 19, or excuse me, Leviticus 19.18 says, love your enemy as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, excuse me. And the Pharisee disagreed with that too. I'm better than this guy and I'm better than all the rest of these other guys. He disagreed with God on point after point after point. That was his pride coming out. And you see, he left, it led to his downfall. He left unjustified. He left the temple not right with God. Or in other, he left the temple still headed to hell. He wasn't justified. He was still in his sin, still disconnected from God because he didn't agree with God. He didn't agree with what God said about him. He didn't agree with what God said about how he should treat other people. And he didn't agree with what God said about salvation and how it's achieved. He missed it on every count. His pride led to his downfall. And it does the same thing us, and I think probably the biggest takeaway for us, I'm going to move pretty quick, this can be depressing to talk about this kind of stuff, so we're not going to dwell here very long, but the biggest takeaway for me is pride leads to self-deception. Our pride causes us to think we're something that we're not. Uzziah's pride caused him to think he could be a priest when he was a king, which is silly because king runs the whole show. A priest has this little slice duties in the temple. And Uzziah thought, I'm, I'm the king, so I can offer this incense. His, in his pride, he disagreed with what the Lord said about him. The Lord says, Uzziah, you're a king, and these are the responsibilities of a king. His pride says, I'm a king, and I can do whatever I want. And that includes burning incense at this altar. It caused him to think and to act other than who he was. And you can think of dozens and dozens of examples of people whose pride has led them to think and act other than who they are. Not necessarily more, but other. Lucifer, Satan, 
His pride caused him to think that he could be God and to lead a revolt in heaven. You remember that story where Jesus says, Peter has this great revelation that Jesus is the Son of God and everyone's so excited and Jesus is like, Peter, way to go, you're the man. And then he says, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Peter's pride caused him to think he could tell Jesus what to do. He could tell Jesus that he didn't have to be crucified, and Jesus rebuked him. A CEO's pride can cause him to think they can cook the books. An athlete's pride can cause him to think they can take steroids or or whatever and not get caught because they're above the law. Again, there's dozens of examples how our pride causes us to think that we are other than we are. And in my dream, I wondered, I was really wrestling with this, and I thought, you know, I was wrestling with this message before I had the dream. Pride can cause a penguin to think it's a goose and try to fly south for the winter. Penguins don't fly. And when they do, or if they try to, that's when the buzzards come. And the same thing is true for all of us. Just like pride led to Uzziah's fall and Lucifer's fall, it led to Peter's rebuke and on and on and on in our life. Read the paper tomorrow and how many people, they're in a mess that they're in because of their pride. They disagreed with God, either about themselves, about lifestyle issues, or about how to treat other people, most likely. They disagreed with God about that stuff, and it, got, it, and it bit them. We've talked before, there's kind of one way to live. God has created the universe, and there's a flow to it. And you can either swim downstream, or you can swim upstream. And if you choose to swim upstream against the current of God's direction, against the fabric of the universe, that's okay. Just know what you're getting yourself into. You're going to get hurt. And that's what pride does. It causes us to disagree with God. He's saying this is the way to live. And we say, well, maybe on some things, but not on others. I know better than you, and so I'm going to choose to live this way on this point. And you're going to get hurt. Because that's what happens. It will lead to your fall, not because God is mean. It leads to your fall because God has said, this is the way to live, and he's made it very clear, this is the way to live. And if you choose to not live according to the rules of life, you're going to get broken. And the good news is, you can choose to be broken now. You can have a morsel of the judgment now to turn you around so you start swimming with the stream again. Or you can choose to eat the whole thing forever, and that's your call. Nobody else can make that choice for you. I think one of the things that's most ironic about Uzziah is the, it was the blessings of God that led to his downfall. He was strongly supported, so God, he was fully devoted to God, and God was strongly supporting. He had all of this success, all of this prosperity, all of these blessings, and in that was the root of his fall. At some point, things shifted in his heart. Pride is sneaky. A lot of you, I know where a lot of you are, and when I was thinking about this message, I thought, I know where a lot of people are, and they're not in a place of prosperity right now. There are a lot of people who are hurting in a lot of ways. People are looking for direction. People are sick and want to get better. There's just stuff going on in a lot of people's lives. And when you're like that, it's pretty easy to be wholly devoted to the Lord because you don't have any other choice. When you're at the bottom of the barrel, it's pretty easy to trust God because there's nothing else to trust. But as you trust God, and this is, it is what it is, as you trust God and he changes your circumstances and things get better and better, at some point, there is a temptation. 
And it does become more difficult to trust the Lord wholeheartedly, and it becomes a lot easier to lean on other things when things are going well. And that's when pride sneaks in, and that's what happened to Uzziah. When the kingdom was a wreck, he had no choice but to trust the Lord. But when the kingdom is rolling, it's a lot easier to trust yourself and to begin to disagree with some of the things that God says about how things should be. And his pride caused him to try to act like a priest when he wasn't. And he basically fell off a cliff. He spent the rest of his life in quarantine. He was in a house that nobody could go in. He was considered unclean. Doesn't mean anything to us. For these guys, it meant everything. You can't go to the temple. Other people can't be around you. He got buried in a different field because he had leprosy. That's how bad it, it was considered to be if you were unclean. You didn't even get buried with the other guys so you wouldn't contaminate their bones. So he got buried in the, the, all of that because of this pride that ran in his heart unchecked. So all I would say to you this morning, and I don't know, I would just maybe it's a warning, maybe you're already there, I do not know. But I would just say, if you're a penguin, be a penguin. Don't try to act like a goose. You can't. It's going to lead to your destruction. Um, we're going to take communion here in a minute. Uh, this is Philippians 2. This is maybe the